A Great Wonder in Heaven, Part 1, by John Arrowsmith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Great Wonder in Heaven, or A Lively Picture of the Militant Church Drawn by a Divine Pencil, Revelation 12, 1 and 2, discoursed on in a sermon preached before the Honourable House of Commons at Margaret's, Westminster, on the last monthly fast day, January 27th, 1646. Revelation 12, 1 and 2. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. The New Testament, which exceeds the Old in many respects, may not be thought to come short of it in any essential or integral part, that is made up of histories, psalms, dogmatical and prophetical passages, none whereof are wanting in this. Its historians are the evangelists, its psalmists, Mary, Zechariah and Simeon, whose songs are recorded in the first and second of Luke, its dogmatical writers, those that penned the several epistles, its prophet John, who indeed was all four. For ye have evangelical histories in the gospel, dogmatical truths in the three epistles. For ye have evangelical histories in his gospel, dogmatical truths in his three epistles, and besides sacred hymns, as that of the four and twenty elders, chapter 5, and that of Moses and of the Lamb, chapter 15, prophetical visions are everywhere throughout his apocalypse. This is my text is none of the least, there appeared a good wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Here there is a lacuna in the text. While the bush burned with fire and was not consumed, Moses, turning aside to see that great sight, was called upon to put off his shoes before he approached. That which is here held forth is a wonder, a great wonder, and that in heaven. Your looks speak a desire to see it. But let me tell you, honourable and beloved, the view will neither be full nor comfortable unless ye put off earthly wisdom and carnal affections. That being done, come and see. The words are veiled with some obscurity by reason of variety of metaphors, but much of the veil will be taken off by a right discerning of their scope, which is briefly this, to represent the Church of Christ in her militant state, especially during the primitive times. The militant church, which is elsewhere impaired to such things as are weak in themselves, and in danger to be ruined, as to a ship tossed with tempests, to a vineyard exposed to wild beasts, and to a flock of sheep among wolves, is here, upon the same grounds, represented by a woman in travail. Her appearing, indeed, was in heaven, for reasons to be hereafter specified, but that which she was designed to signify is not the state of the church as triumphant, for there is no travail, no crying out, no pain in heaven, but as militant here below, chiefly in her first age after the word was made flesh. So interpreters not a few. One passeth it with a certum est. To me, saith he, tis certain that the first begotten church of Christ is here meant. The woman, saith another, is the apostolical church, a type of the church which was newborn under the New Testament, so a third. An excellent picture of the child-bearing primitive church, so a fourth. A fifth extends the representation to the first six hundred years from the birth of Christ to the rising of Antichrist. 
Having thus set up a light in the porch, let us now enter in at the door of this magnificent building, wherein we shall find the apparition laid before us, first more generally as a great wonder in heaven, secondly more distinctly as a woman described two ways. One, by her rare perfections, which are three, being clothed with the sun, having the moon under feet, having a crown of twelve stars upon her head. Two, by her weak and perilous condition, in that being with child she cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. I begin with that which first offers itself, intending to proceed to the rest in order as they lie in the text. There appeared. It hath always been the custom of God to manifest himself in special manner to special favourites. Solomon was named Jedediah because the Lord loved him, and to him the Lord appeared twice. Daniel, a man greatly beloved, and upon him visions were multiplied. John the disciple whom Jesus loved, and to him there appeared great wonders in heaven. When his favourites came to be sufferers for his name, he is then wont to visit them more than at other seasons. The Spirit of Christ is with his saints at all times, but in such cases the Spirit of God and of glory resteth upon them, as Peter speaks, that is, the Spirit of God in a more glorious way. This was John's case. Ye have this experiment registered here. Chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Tis thought that all contained in this book was revealed to him on that one day. Whoever spent a Sabbath so well, whoever had so many discoveries in so short a time, how was his banishment sweetened herewith, and his Patmos turned into a paradise? How excellent is thy loving kindness, O Lord! How glorious are thine influences upon suffering saints! What psalms doth David indite in the cave! What epistles doth Paul write in the prison? What apparitions doth John see in a desolate island? There appeared a great wonder. The more lightsome anything is, the more glorious. The more glorious anything is, the more wonderful. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O thou city of God, saith the psalmist of the church, which is therefore a great wonder, because all the luminaries of heaven concur to the making up of the glory thereof, and that in a posture suitable to the stations they hold in the firmament. There the highest lights are the stars, the lowest the moon, the sun in the midst. So here the stars are allotted to the church's head, the moon to her feet, the sun to those parts of the body that are between both. She is all over glorious, and consequently altogether admirable, because lightsome all over. For her head is crowned with stars, her body apparelled with the sun, and she hath the moon for her footstool, so as to tread in paths of light. If any here discern no glory in the church to be wondered at, but say of her, as they say of Christ, Isaiah 53, 2, she hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see her... There is no beauty that we should desire her. It is not for want of light in her, but of spiritual sight in them. A skilful painter to an ignorant man had wondered at his gazing so much on a curious piece, said, Friend, si meos oculus haberes, hadst thou mine eyes, thou wouldst be ravished with the sight of this picture as I am, and instead of wondering at me, fall a-wondering with me. So, if we had the eyes and spirit of John, the Church of Christ would appear a great wonder to us, as it did to him. A great wonder in heaven. 
we read of a door opened in heaven and of a call that John had to come up thither. Chapter 4 verse 1. That was the scene of all his visions. There did this great wonder appear to his mental eyes, and well it might, seeing the church whose hieroglyphic it is hath her original from heaven, her tendency to heaven, her conversation in heaven, and her dependence upon heaven. 1. Her original from heaven. Except a man be born, here there is a lacuna in the text, which may be rendered from above, he shall not see the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. Converts are all born of God, John 1.13, and Jerusalem which is above is the mother of them all, Galatians 4.26. Mihi patria kulem may be the motto of every saint during his pilgrimage in the world, heaven is my country, there I was born and I am returning thither, which is the next thing. 2. Her tendency to heaven. Those martyrs and confessors, Hebrews 11.14 and 16, declared plainly that they sought an heavenly country. All saints, as saints, naturally move to the centre of rest, and because their motion is natural, it commonly proves swiftest at last. As the approaches of a needle are so much the more quick by how much it draws nearer to the lodestone, and rivers run with a stronger stream when they are about to empty themselves into the ocean whence they came, so true believers, when their bodies smell most of earth, as towards death they are wont to do, have the strongest scent of heaven in their souls. 3. Her Conversation in Heaven Philippians 3.20 Here there is a lacuna in the text. The phrase imports their living and trading as denizens of heaven, their being governed by the local statutes and municipal laws of that city, their conversing with God in Christ and having fellowship with the Spirit here below, whence it is that when death comes, the godly are said to change their place but not their company. 4. Her dependence upon heaven, knowing as she doth that every good and perfect gift is from above, James 1.17. She accordingly expects from thence supplies of grace to help in every time of need. When the German princes in a diet at Nuremberg had framed certain decrees against the Protestant cause, Luther comforted himself and his patron, the Duke of Saxony, to whom he wrote, with this weighty consideration, that the princes at Nuremberg had concluded one thing in that business, but God had decreed another in heaven, and the counsel of the Lord, that should stand. Let us now proceed to show more distinctly what this great wonder in heaven was, viz. a woman. Here there is a lacuna in the text. A married woman. That's the importance of the word in other places, as in chapter 21 of this book, verse 9, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Here there is a lacuna in the text. Yea, the... Here there is a lacuna in the text. The decency of the allegory requires it should be so taken here, because we find the woman with child and in her travail. Being so taken, it imports a mystery, one of the greatest in all divinity, viz. the church's relation to Christ as her husband. Paul, who was well skilled in gospel secrets, to which the depths of other sciences are but shallows, gives the title of great only to two evangelical mysteries, that of our Saviour's incarnation, 1 Timothy 3, last. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh, and this of the church's marriage to Christ. 
Ephesians 5:31 and 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That which was one of Paul's great mysteries might well be part of John's great wonder, but I forbear to enlarge upon it because I hasten to a discovery of this woman's rare perfections, the first whereof is her being clothed with the sun. That which some Platonists say hath savour in it, lumen est umbra dei, deus est lumen luminis. The light is but the shadow of God, God is he that enlighteneth light itself. Now of all visible lights there is none so radiant as the sun. Scripture accordingly styleth God a sun and a shield, Psalm 84.11, and Christ is called the sun of righteousness, Malachi 4.2. He it is, and no other person or thing, whom we are to understand by the sun in my text. The resemblances are many. Christ and the sun agree. 1. In point of sovereignty. The sun is the prince of planets, a body so glorious that all admire, many adore it for a god, because they see more majesty in it than anything else that can be seen. Whence it is that the idolatrous Chaldeans, as Bowden observes, gave it the name of Baal, a lord, whereas the Hebrews, with whom were the oracles of God, called it Shemes, which signifieth a servant, for so it is to him that made it. Christ took upon him the form of a servant, but is indeed the lord of all. And as God made the sun to rule by day and to diversify seasons of the year by its approaches and recesses, so hath the Father appointed Christ to be King of saints, and upon his various aspects depend the church's summer and winter, the soul's spring and fall, the seed-time of grace and harvest of glory. 2. In point of singularity, there is but one sun in the firmament which made that great conqueror say, the heavens could neither bear two suns nor the earth two Alexanders. Look to Christ's person, it is but one, although there be two natures in him. When the light which was created the first day did, as it were, assume a star three days after, that star and the light made but one sun. So when the Word, who was God from all eternity, assumed flesh, in fullness of time the Word and flesh made but one Christ. Look to his office." He is so a mediator as not to admit of any co-partnership in the work. To us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. 1 Corinthians 8.6 One God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 Is Christ divided, saith Paul elsewhere? We may say, is Jesus multiplied? No, verily, as but one Son, so but one Saviour. None but Christ, as the martyr cried, none but Christ. 3. In point of necessity. When men would express the removal of somewhat absolutely necessary, they used to say, this were solem e mundo tolere, to take the sun out of the world. If that were removed, how would all beauty vanish, and, as some think, all motion cease? The potter's wheel, say they, could not turn upon earth if the sun should not move in heaven. So take Christ from a soul, tis impotent to all good. Without me ye can do nothing, John 15.5. Were it not for the sun, it would be perpetual night in the world, notwithstanding all the torches that could be lighted, yea, notwithstanding all the lights of the moon and stars. It is neither the torchlight of natural parts and creature comforts, nor the starlight of civil honesty and common gifts, 
nor the moonlight of temporary faith and formal profession that can make it day in the soul till the sun of righteousness arise and shine there. Once, indeed, there was a time when fruits were produced without a sun, when God, to prevent the idolizing of this creature as the only cause of all fertility, enabled the earth to bring forth on the third day, whereas the sun was not made till the fourth, but never was there any the least moment of time since the fall wherein man could bring forth fruit to god without the cooperation of christ here there is a lacuna in the text that hath not the sun hath not life one john five twelve neither can any vital action be performed but by his special grace four in point of purity other creatures admit of some defiling mixtures the sun doth not it looks upon filth, but contracts none. Christ is a lamb without blemish and without spot. Such as cast aspersions upon him in the days of his flesh, call him glutton, wine-bibber, and friend of publicans and sinners, did but act the madman's part, throwing dirt at the sun, which none could possibly fasten upon. He came indeed into a sinful world, but as a physician among his sick patients, to cure them without taking the sickness of them, being antidoted by his divinity against all infection. He hath an hand even in sinful acts, as they are acts, for in him we move, but not in the sinfulness of them. Shines into the noisome dunghills of our hearts with beams of grace, yet continues most pure. He was born of a sinner, lived and conversed with sinners, died with and for sinners, yea, as a sinner, yet had not in himself the least sin of his own to answer for. 5. In point of sufficiency there is in the sun a fullness of created glory. All the light that had been dispersed throughout the great fabric of the newborn world for the first three days was gathered together on the fourth into that one body. So it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell in Christ. And the several graces that shined in the patriarchs, fathers, and prophets of old under the law were all to be... Here there is a lacuna in the text. Once in him the innocence of abel perseverance of noah obedience of abraham devotion of here there is a lacuna in the text chastity of joseph patience of job meekness of moses courage of joshua zeal of david and whatsoever any of them excelled in was an ingredient here there is a lacuna in the text that fullness of grace and truth which was found in christ quae divisi beatus efficunt conjunctatenet each of them had the fullness of a star, he the sufficiency of a sun that filled them all, and had a fullness beyond them all. 6. In point of efficiency, the efficiency of the sun appears in imparting three things, light, heat, and influence, each whereof is so qualified as to resemble the grace of Christ in sundry particulars. First, the sun imparts light, a discovering, guiding, cheering, growing light. 1. Discovering what was hid from our sight before, but for it we should neither see the sun itself nor anything else in heaven or earth. Without irradiation from Christ, men would forever continue ignorant of the only true God and of their Redeemer. We should never know either our sins or our duties, our dangers or our privileges, but for Christ. With Him only is the fountain of life, and in His light we see light. 2. Guiding Luke 1, 78 and 79. The day spring from in high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The dim light of nature in common people shines a little, but it is not strong enough to guide, like that of a glow-worm or rotten stick. 
the light of worldly wisdom and policy in men of great parts but profane spirits shines more strongly but misguides like the meteor which philosophers call ignis fatuus we the lantern man there is a third kind of light that shines strongly and guides too but the head only not the feet i mean that of hypocrites who contemplate things of god but reduce not their brain knowledge to practice yea a fourth that guides both head and feet yet but into a way of formality namely that wherewith they are enlightened who have a form of godliness but deny the power of it whereas this we are speaking of doth not only shine but guide not the head only but the feet and that not into the way of formality but of faith which is the only way of peace both with god and with conscience three cheering ecclesiastes eleven seven truly light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun how sweet are the discoveries made by christ to believing souls what a pleasant thing is it for spiritual eyes to behold the sun of righteousness moving and shining in the spirit of a convert as in its own proper sphere such as are dark are accounted melancholy rooms well may they be melancholy souls that want the cheering light of christ but blessed is the people psalm eighty nine fifteen that know the joyful sound they shall walk o lord in the light of thy countenance we may invert it and say blessed are the people o lord that walk in the light of thy countenance they shall know the joyful sound they shall enjoy a continual jubilee in their hearts four growing it increaseth more and more from break of day and is in this respect a fit emblem of the grace which christ communicates to his members the nature whereof is to be growing till it come to arrive at perfection that in isaiah eight twenty to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there is no light no morning in them intimates a remarkable difference between the knowledge of saints and hypocrites the former is like the morning light that shines more and more to the perfect day proverbs four eighteen but evil men and seducers as paul foretold wax worse and worse whereby it appears that theirs was but an evening light which shines less and less till it end in the blackness of darkness for ever jude thirteen in the second place the sun imparts heat a melting inflaming quickening heat one melting when the surface of the water is glazed with ice the sunbeams dissolve it the grace of christ hath a like operation upon frozen hearts which are never truly melted into contrition but by evangelical beams the law like a hammer may break ice in pieces but what remains is ice still the gospel dissolves it into water tis no longer ice then they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn zechariah twelve ten no such kindly mourners as they that have hearts melted with christ's heat and heated with sense of christ's love she in luke seventh the end who had much forgiven her loved much and wept much two inflaming the sunbeams falling upon a burning glass create a fire so doth the spirit of christ who is therefore called a spirit of burning isaiah four four when he falls upon the spirit of man did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures luke last thirty two the burnt child we used to say dreads the fire but there is a fire which whosoever hath truly felt will long to be so burnt again bernard having been well warmed with the consideration of that passage psalm thirty two one 
Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, professeth he was seized upon with unspeakable joy and assurance of his own share in that blessedness, after the feeling whereof he cries out, O si duraset! I would to God it had been continued. Lord, do thou visit me so again and again with thy salvation. 3. Quickening. Some creatures have no other father but the son, nor other mother but the slime. This, perhaps, is one reason why the son is compared to a bridegroom. Psalm 19, because his beams are prolifical. The grace of Christ is so much more. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45 He that hath the son hath life. 1 John 5.12 Yea, a double life, for no less will serve his turn. The one of righteousness, all being naturally dead in law by reason of guilt. The other of holiness, all being dead in sins and trespasses, till quickened by him, the end of whose coming was that we might have life, and that we might have it more abundantly. John 10.10 10. A third thing which the Son communicates is its influence, the strength and universality whereof are considerable here. We have an intimation of both, Psalm 19, 4, 5, and 6. In the heavens hath God set a tabernacle for the Son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run his race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. 1. It is a strong influence, as may be evidenced by the Son's concocting of such solid bodies as gold and precious stones are, in places that are so remote from his own sphere. Were not the influence of Christ exceeding forcible, how could it possibly rectify crooked, purify filthy, soften hard, and raise dead souls, as it used to do, all on the Sudan? Tis true indeed that the operations of his grace are incomparably sweet, but it is no less true that they are withal incomparably strong. To make use of the psalmist's metaphors, our Lord Jesus, in respect of the former, may be said to come as a bridegroom out of his chamber, clothing himself with all sweetness of carriage on his wedding day of the latter to rejoice as a strong man to run a race, bearing down whatever opposeth him in the way. 2. Tis universal. No visible creature but shares more or less in the benefits of this influence. So Christ, being the light that lighteneth every one that cometh into the world, John 1, there is no man but partakes of his goodness in one kind or other, though with much variety in the success. For as the sun hath different operations upon different objects, for example, wax and clay, softening the one, hardening the other, a chicken and a toad, increasing the wholesomeness of the one, the poison of the other. So upon several men, within the pale of a visible church, Christ preached to all hath several works. Some are made softer, some harder. The spirits of some are sweetened by the ministry of the gospel, of others embittered. One, with the Amalekite's servant refreshed by David, becomes instrumental against the enemies of his refresher. Another, with the snake in the fable, warmed by the husbandman's care and compassion, becomes an enemy to the author of that warmth, turns apostate, and falls to stinging Christ in his members so much the more by how much he was the more enlightened with common grace. You have had enough, and I hope not too much, of this metaphorical sun in the text. See now in what regard the woman is said to be clothed therewith. Surely, because the Lord Jesus Christ is of the same use to his church that apparel is of to the body of man. It serves for covering, shelter, and ornament. In like manner, 1. Christ covers the church with his graces. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 
that which job speaks of himself in a natural is true of him and all men else in a spiritual sense naked came i into the world and there is none but continues so till he come to be apparelled by christ who therefore adviseth the church of laodicea to buy of him white raiment that she might be clothed revelation three eighteen paul having exhorted the romans to walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness not in strife and envy instead of adding put on temperance chastity and such other graces as have in them a contrariety to the forementioned sins chooseth rather to say as a late interpreter well observes put ye on the lord jesus christ because he is the only fountain of all grace and without the putting on of his righteousness first by an hand of faith ours will never exceed that of philosophers and pharisees yea because even when the spirit of god hath enabled us to do good we have need of christ to hide the deformity of our best performances two Christ shelters the church by his merits from the wrath of God, as apparel doth our bodies from the cold and injuries of the weather. Jesus is he which delivered us from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 1, last. Paul therefore desires to be found in Christ, Philippians 3, 9, as one would be found in his clothes, when a biting frost comes, which, if he were naked, would pinch him to death. Christ is so beloved of God, and God is so well pleased with Christ, as in him to love, and in him to be well pleased with all his members, even of that whole mystical body whereof he is head. 3. Christ adorns his church, putting upon her a comeliness far beyond that of other societies, spoken of, Ezekiel 16.14, Thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. That excellency of Jacob by which God swears, Amos 8.7, is not to be understood of the temple at Jerusalem, as some would have it, for God useth not to swear by creatures, that were to practice what he hath forbidden us, but by himself, Hebrews 6.13. Junius therefore expounds it of Christ, whose essence is the same with the Father's, and who is indeed the church's excellency. He it is that makes the king's daughter to be all glorious within, Psalm 45, that renders a poor saint in his russet, fuller of bravery than a profane son of Belial in his scarlet one of their souls being apparelled with Christ himself, whilst the other's is clad only with the rags of the first, not robes of the second Adam. I go on to another rare perfection of this woman, which is her having the moon under her feet. In explication whereof I shall follow the stream of expositors, who, some few only excepted, make the moon here an emblem of the world, and not... Here there is a lacuna in the text. Fitly seeing it is, one, full of spots, insomuch as the saints, whose main care is to be found of God in peace without spot or blamelessness, 2 Peter 3.14, find it a very difficult matter and an high point of religion, while they walk and converse in the world, to keep themselves unspotted from it, James 1 last. The heirs of heaven come to be maculated more or less, notwithstanding their watchfulness, as for worldlings whose spot is not the spot of god's children deuteronomy thirty two five no leopard is more spotted than they can the ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil that beast they say though it be stead will appear spotted still the spots inhering in its flesh as well as its skin such are these men without and within in conversation and in heart all over full of spots 
two subject to many changes never continuing long in a shape sometimes and horned sometimes here there is a lacuna in the text half and sometimes a full moon so the world is a stage of vicissitudes constant only in its inconstancy the fashion of this world passeth away one corinthians seven thirty one it is never long in one garb as soon may the moon be suited with a coat that will always fit it, as the world with any accommodation that will always give content, with any condition that will always last. The fool changeth as the moon, saith the son of Sirach. And as worldlings are changelings, so the world itself passeth away, and the lusts thereof. 1 John 2.17 3. The cause of many diseases, especially of the filling sickness. Scripture speaking of such as were troubled therewith, calls them, here there is a lacuna in the text, lunatics or moonstruck, Matthew 4.24, the symptoms of falling sometimes into the fire, sometimes into the water, of tearing, foaming, gnashing, expressed by the evangelists, clearly show what disease the man had of whom his father said. Here there is a lacuna in the text, Matthew 17.15, the word, in like manner, renders the soul apt to be troubled with a spiritual falling sickness, nothing exposing men to apostasy more than worldliness. Demas, saith Paul, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, 2 Timothy 4.10, and again, the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, 1 Timothy 6.10. Many, fearing the world, would fall out with them, fall off from God. Spira revolted merely in hope to preserve his estate, and so lost himself. But why is the moon said to be under the woman's feet? That must now be our next inquiry. The phrase imports victory over and contempt of persons or things. Thus in Psalm 47.3, he shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. You know how the five kings were used by Joshua, how Tamburlaine served Bajazet, and what was prophesied of Christ, Psalm 110.1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So as the woman's having the moon under her feet seems to imply the church's being enabled by Christ to overcome and trample upon the elements, the affronts, and the enjoyments of this world. 1. The elements of the world, spoken of Galatians 4, 3, and 9 which one of great insight into this mystical book of revelation understanding both of mosaical ceremonies and of heathenish worship makes account that the clause in my text which we are now discoursing of relates to that victory which the primitive church got over both in that she not only saw the abolition of legal ceremonies which saith he might well be signified by the moon seeing all the feasts of the jews and whole course of their ecclesiastical year depended upon and were regulated by the motion of that planet but also the extirpation of those idols which the heathens formerly worshipped for then did satan fall down like lightning from heaven luke ten eighteen he fell from being adored as god to being slighted as an impostor yea abominated as a wicked spirit then was fulfilled that which is written revelation twelve nine the great dragon was cast out the old serpent called the devil and satan which deceived the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him yea then was the promise in part fulfilled the language whereof hath great affinity with the phrase in my text the god of peace shall tread satan under your feet shortly romans sixteen twenty two the affronts of the world 
the church got these under her feet when she gloried in tribulation, was above her persecutors and had patience to endure as much as their malice and cruelty could inflict. I take pleasure, saith Paul, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10 The apostles rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Acts 5.41 They, in Hebrews 10.34, took joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing in themselves that they had in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Laurentius the martyr when they laid his body upon a gridiron with the purpose to broil him to death, is reported to have said, I have always longed for such cheer as this. To me these very flames are cooling and refreshments rather than torments. Gordius desired his executioners not to grudge him over much happiness, telling them that the more they tormented him, the more God would reward him. 3. The Enjoyments of the World 1 John 5.4 Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Carnal reason paints the things of this life and sets them out in beautiful colours, but faith washeth off the complexion, and then their deformity appears. Those Christians in the primitive times that laid their estates at the apostles' feet had first got them under their own, learned to trample upon, and to have a low esteem of them in their most serious thoughts. Take the goodliest things in the world, there have been some in all ages found, that were above them. One of the fathers will not allow temporal riches the name of goods, but accounts it enough, if we forbear to call them evils. Another thinks him too dainty for a Christian, that desires pleasure on this side heaven, too foolish, that imagines carnal delights to be real pleasures. A third, being tempted with preferments to a revolt, said, Offer them to children, not to Christians. As for me, I can part with life, but not with truth. Many such instances there are, wherein ye may clearly discern the moon under the woman's, the world under the church's feet. Her third and last perfection follows, to it having upon her head a crown of twelve stars. That is, holding fast the pure doctrine of the gospel first preached by the twelve apostles, and after them by succeeding ministers, which is as a crown on the church's head. So as here three things are to be made out. First, that the apostles are here meant, and such faithful ministers as succeeded them not excluded. The number expressed points us directly to the apostles, who are often called the twelve in Scripture. There were no more chosen at first, Luke 6.13, and when Judas was fallen from his apostleship, Matthias was substituted in his room to make up the number. Yea, though there was a superaddition of Paul and Barnabas, yet in memory of the first election, they are still spoken of as twelve long after that in the Apocalypse. I will not trouble you with discoursing of the twelve stones taken up out of the midst of Jordan, the twelve spies sent out to search the land of Canaan, the twelve oxen under the brazen sea, the twelve lions that supported Solomon's throne, the twelve officers appointed by him to provide for his household, all which are by some made types of the twelve apostles. Neither will I insist upon that notion which Jerome presumes to be unquestionable, and sets a nec dubium est upon, viz., that those twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees at Elam, Exodus 15 last, did undoubtedly prefigure the twelve apostles and seventy disciples. It may perhaps be worthy of more consideration that as the Jewish church had twelve patriarchs from whom the twelve tribes of Israel descended, so Christ ordained twelve apostles to be as fathers of his Israel under the gospel, the Christian church. 
and that the spirit in Revelation 4.4, where mention is made of twenty-four seats and twenty-four elders sitting upon them, alludes both to the twelve patriarchs and the twelve apostles, which put together make up those twenty-four by whom the whole church under both testaments is represented. It appears, by what has been said, that the apostles are certainly meant in this place. The reason why I conceive other ministers not excluded is because the angels of the seven churches are called stars, Revelation 1 last, as well as the twelve apostles here, which is the second thing to be cleared, viz., that the apostles and all faithful ministers are like stars, wherein it were easy to be large, seeing they and the stars resemble each other in many things. But I will content myself with a few. 1. As the stars are heavenly bodies shining, but with a borrowed light, so the apostles of old were, and all godly ministers ever since have endeavoured to be men of an heavenly conversation, heavenly men and earthly angels, as Paul was styled by Chrysostom. They shine as lights in the world, acknowledging all the light they have to be derived from Christ as the Son, of whose fullness they all receive. That which one of the German divines made his motto fully speaks every one of their hearts. Nil scio nil possum nel summa quoque, quod damen esse scire et posse a liquid dicor id omne dei est. They are most ready to profess that of themselves they know nothing, can do nothing, and are nothing that good is, and that whatever good they are, or do, or know, they owe it wholly to the free grace of God in Christ. 2. As the stars are in continual motion for the good of the universe, so were the apostles for the good of the church. Paul ceased not to warn every one, night and day with tears, Acts 20.31, went from Jerusalem round about to Illyricum, preaching the gospel, Romans 15.19. Succeeding ministers have accordingly in their places acquainted themselves with continual labours, which scripture calls upon them for. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Isaiah 58, 1. Durante pugna non cessat tuba. The trumpet must be sounding all the while the battle is in fighting. Now there is no end of the Christian warfare, and therefore none of the minister's pains. The church is God's husbandry. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Her ministers, his husbandmen. Redit agricolis labor actus in orbem. The husbandman hath never quite done his work, but the end of one task is still the beginning of another. So it fares with painful ministers. One while their employment is instructing poor ignorant souls, then are they like stars that shine in a cold winter night. Another while convincing gainsayers and heretics, then are they like those stars in their courses that fought against Sisera, Judges 5. The most benign constellation is not more promising to the world than their associations are unto the church. 3. As the stars are said to differ one from another in glory, 1 Corinthians 15.45, so the apostles excelled other ministers in the universality of their commission, the immediateness of their call, the infallibility of their doctrine, together with many other privileges. And among succeeding ministers there hath been found very great difference in regard of their parts, gifts, and graces, such as there is among stars of the first, second, and third magnitude. Melanchthon, speaking of the divines of his age, said, Pomeranus is a grammarian, I a logician, Justice Jonas an orator, but Martin Luther is all these, a miracle of men, and one that penetrates the heart in whatsoever he speaks or writes. Beza, comparing the three famous ministers of Geneva, saith, Pharellus excelled in fervency, 
Veritas in eloquence, Calvin in sententiousness, and that the concurrence of these endowments in any man would have rendered him a complete evangelical pastor. The third thing which I am to clear is that evangelical doctrine is as a crown to the church of Christ. The prudent are crowned with knowledge, saith Solomon, Proverbs 14.18. Now there is no knowledge saving but this of evangelical truth, and therefore no such crown as that. Tis our Saviour's counsel to the church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3.11, Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Some false apostles, it should seem, had been tampering with this church. Christ commends her for keeping the word of his patience, verse 10, i.e. the gospel, which declares the sufferings of Christ and excites to patience by his example, whereupon he adds the forementioned word of advice. It would save much labour in debating one of the Arminian points, if the place might be interpreted, as for aught I know it may, to this sense. As if he had said, O Philadelphia, keep that truth which thou hast been taught by those that planted thee at first. That truth is thy crown, let no man take it from thee, no tyrant rob, no seducer cheat thee of it. A crown thou knowest is the most principal ornament, take it from me, evangelical truth is the most principal crown. End of A Great Wonder in Heaven, Part 1, by John Arrowsmith.